Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. God came to this world. He didn't come as a woman, gentlemen. It's not just a right that we have, but a responsibility. We are the reflection of God to this world. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus' name, it's an honor to be here with Brother Cisco. I give him and his family our deepest honor and regards in uh, <clears throat> the promotion of his father last week. And um, I buried my dad about a year ago. And people come to me and say, we're so far sorry you lost your dad. And I don't say it to them because I don't want to rebuke them. But in my inside, I just say, uh, I didn't lose nothing. <laughs> uh, if you know where something is, it's not lost. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> so just, so your dad was kind to me. He was kind to me. And I'll never forget, I was 19 years old. He, I was driving him to the airport from a camp meeting in West Virginia and he, he, he said, what's your specialty? And it was like, I, I had no idea what that meant. I, you know, I, I'm a preacher. Yeah, I know, but what's your specialty? And uh, as time went on, I began to understand what he meant. But uh, he was a specialist, and he was a reaper. And uh, Jesus' name. I've got all these numbers in this phone. Brother Kilgore, Brother Pugh, Brother Mangan. I called Brother Kilgore a couple months ago. He didn't answer. And, uh, but I told the man, I said, you have a very, you have a great phone number of a very great man. He said, I get calls all the time. I wonder who in the world was this guy, James Kilgore. But uh, it's kind of like uh, Minnesota Fats. It's this. Like the Lord is running the table and requisitioning all these legacy lives very quickly. And uh, George Jones wrote a song years ago. There's a part of it that says, who's going to fill their shoes? Who's going to stand that tall? Who's going to sing at the Opry and the Wabash Cannonball? Who's going to give their heart and soul to get to me and you? Lord, I I wonder who's going to fill their shoes. In my mind, I'm still 35. <clears throat> I really am, but there's too much evidence to the contrary. And, uh, and all these elders that I respected and revered are gone. And, um, and uh, I'm sure they felt the same way that I feel now with my whatever, my strat of ministry that is in my age bracket and I don't feel qualified but they're gone and so somebody's going to have to say something and so at the risk of uh, whatever you just you step into the role that you play now as a senior and do your best to be an an example to you gentlemen Uh, I don't usually read a lot of scriptures Uh, this is very rare for me tonight but in order for you to get what I would like to convey to you, um, I'm going to read something to you from John chapter 14. And you've been standing, so I'll just allow you to remain seated. 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't have any idea where you're going. And, and how in the world can we know the way? And he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip says, would you just show us the Father? And we'll be satisfied. It will sufficeth us. We don't talk like that anymore. That's stained glass, but... Uh, um, basically, if you'll show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I, I don't speak of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me does the works. Believe. That I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Or else just believe, you know, for the works that I'm doing. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want to teach you something that we're just going to call satisfied sons. Satisfied sons. Um, I, I was in a place not too long ago and, and they said... Uh, you know, where, where were you raised? And I, I said, I, I was a hillbilly kid. I was raised in a small coal mine village in West Virginia. And he said, wow, you're a long way from home. And I said, yeah, but I've never really ventured very far from my roots. And uh, years ago, um, when people wanted to talk about wealthy folks, they, they used names like Rockefeller and J. Paul Getty and Andrew Carnegie and today of course we have the likes of Bill Gates and Bezos and Warren Buffett the guy known as the Oracle of Omaha when I was a boy I'd never heard any of those names I, I, I it was a mythical character by the name of Mike Scrivaggi I, uh, I never ever did meet this mythical Mike Scrivaggi um, I, I've never ever seen a picture of him, but uh, every now and then this zephyr of a man would uh, step out of the mist of lore and legend, and when someone wanted to refer to the wealthiest person in our tiny little orbit, they would say, that land is owned by Mike Scrivaggi, and uh, he was a coal mine baron, and uh, he did own everything, and uh, where I came from, uh, 
Most dreams went as far as good men lying on their back and disappearing into a hole in the side of a hill. Their teeth would shine like ivory framed by soot blackened faces as they proudly told me we're harvesting energy from Mother Earth. And uh, just a small little coal mine town. And uh, before you soon, you know, I, I'm making light. Let me tell you that I found that coal miners are some of the bravest, honest, hardest working people on the face of this planet. And uh, most of the homes were modest at best. It seemed to me that every house was covered with the same ugly squares of roofing tar panels that <clears throat> looked like bricks. And uh, so I can understand people pining for a mansion. Just think of it. Me, a nobody from nowhere. I'm going to heaven and I get to live in a mansion. Hot dog. Yeah. However, as I grew in my understanding of the word, that myth will very quickly disappear. It's, um, it's, it's a vast subject and I'll just scratch it today, but suffice it to say that the Bible talks about a first birth and a second birth. There's a first resurrection. There's a second resurrection. There is what is known as the first death and the second death. And uh, in the book of Revelation, John said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And this is just another reason why being born again is so important. Um, because Jesus said, if you aren't born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom. You know, you need John 3. There's four things, five things really that he taught. But, but the first he said, you got to be born again. Every, every church preaches that. you got to be born again. But every church doesn't preach what he said next. you got to be born of water and spirit. And then he said, if you aren't born of water and spirit, you're not even going to see the kingdom. And if you aren't born of water and spirit, you'll never be able to enter. What you see. See, I was always under the assumption that once you were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you're in the kingdom. You've got the seal of good housekeeping on you, and, and everything's kosher. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, you're not even going to see it until you're born again. And then you're going to have to make the decision, am I going to enter the kingdom way of life? And uh, if you've ever taught home Bible studies or ever tried to disciple someone it always comes to a crisis always there's always finally there's this aha moment and the elephants in the room and they go wow I think this guy wants me to commit <clears throat> I think these people are talking about changing and uh, I mean where are all these people that we've baptized through the years and are you are you saying they didn't get the real holy go uh, I, I believe their sins were remitted. I believe they really were filled with the Spirit. But when you see it and you go, okay, I'm going to have to make a decision if I'm going to enter into the kingdom way of life. Because if you have a second birth, you're going to go in the first resurrection. And you will never experience the second death. And John said, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, 
on such the second death hath no power. So many believers can only see as far as the catching away. Live for Jesus. Be caught up with him in the clouds. This is what Paul taught to the church in Thessalonica. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Then there's going to be this banquet. Known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and 9 talks about that. I mean, come on, we're apostolic people. We don't drink. We don't get naked. We, we, don't, we don't do the stuff we used to do, you know, before we serve the Lord. We fellowship. That's what we call it. It's kind of like scripture. They went from house to house breaking in bread. It's not just breaking bread, man. It's T-bones and barbecue and there's a lot of stuff that goes with the bread, you know. It's what we do. So Jesus resurrected from the dead, walked through a wall, and ate bread and fish. I, I really think we're going to eat. I just do. We just spiritual. It's one of my great gripes against Pentecost. We spiritualize everything. I, I really think we're going to eat. I really do. And, uh, and when the meal's over, you, uh, you, you get to go live forever in your mansion. That's it. You know, it's like tennis, game, set, match. No, wrong. This is what John said, and this is also what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 and 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. John said, and has made us unto our gods, kings, and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Chapter 20, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. My point ought to be pretty simple and obvious by now. What good is a mansion in heaven going to do you if you're reigning and ruling on earth for a thousand years? That's a long time to be away from this 28-star motel suite. We've all been taught that we're going to get. You don't cut the grass for one summer. It's, it's tough. You don't cut the grass for a thousand years. And you go back, you're going to need more than a brush hog. <laughs> so pitch your mental tent here with me for a minute. Just slow your mind to a finger's pace. In my father's house are many mansions. Peter talked about that I know that prophecy is not of any private interpretation. I, I, I have never said that, that things can't be built on one verse. I, I, I know how the mouth of two or three witnesses. I, I get it. And it's better to have multiple verses to argue your point. But you've got to remember this. He's in charge. See, we, this is what we don't get. We're in America. Okay? This is a republic. The Bible, it's not a republic. 
It's a kingdom. We don't get that in America. It's what I used to tell my kids. I'm the boss. You're the applesauce. Got that? He's Lord. And if anyone tells you that God has to say something three times to be believed, that person's wrong. God only has to say it once. That's enough. Okay? Jacob was blessed by his father Isaac, and that blessing was supposed to go to Esau. Jacob got it. It says in Hebrews 12 that Esau sought it carefully with tears. It's like, come on, Daddy. You know, conjure another one up. No, it's gone. It's a one-time shot. Later we find that same blessing grabber bringing his boys, you know, uh, or his grandsons, rather. Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh. And there's a verse in Genesis 42 and 14. So Joseph's got his eyes closed, I'm sure. And Grandpa, it says, crosses his hands, puts right hand on Ephraim, left hand on Manasseh. Joseph obviously opens his eyes in the middle of the prayer, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he's trying to pry Grandpa's hands off of the kid's head. And he said, no, this is going to be great, but this is going to be greater. It's just, uh, Joseph knew. <laughs> he knowed how, no doubt heard it from the very man who was praying over his boys. There are some things that only happen one time. Moses never led Israel into Canaan because he struck the rock twice. It was only supposed to happen once. And I don't have time to park here any longer, but suffice it to say, there are things in the word that only happened once. And God only has to say it once, and that's enough. You know, the elders used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it regardless of what you believe. There are words that only appear one time in the Bible, words like success. This is, preachers don't like this, but the word chickens is only one time in the Bible. Lucifer, it's only one time in the Bible. But would anyone try to argue that those things don't exist? There are just many others used to describe Satan, but Lucifer's only used once. And so we come to another word that's only used once. Mansion. To most people, a mansion is an elaborate home with acres of manicured lawns and thousands of square feet of living space and the best of marbles and granites and carved wooden panels and a vast foyer and a grand staircase and the best carpets and redwood china and perfectly lined on an endless mahogany table lit by chandeliers and the finest baccarat, china, silver, glasses. However, in the original language, the word mansion, which only appears one time in the Bible, just simply means dwelling place. That's what it means. So let us investigate this phrase, Father's house. There are several other places, but let me give you three examples in the New Testament. In, in Luke chapter 2, Joseph and Mary are 
going back home after coming to Jerusalem for the feast. <clears throat> it said they supposed him to be in the midst. They just assumed Jesus was somewhere in the wagon train with all the kin. And they can't find him. So Joseph goes back and finds him in the temple in Luke chapter 2. And uh, this is from the Revised Standard Version, Luke 2.49. How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Where do you think I was going to be? This 12-year-old kid disputing with doctors and lawyers. Amazing. Luke 16 gives the account of Lazarus and the rich man. It says the rich man died and was buried, but it says Lazarus died and was carried. I like that. And the rich man begged to go back home, and this is what he said. I want you to send somebody to my father's house. Jesus is teaching about a man who died and was lost, begging for another chance to try and convince his relatives to serve the Lord. And he said, i got to go back to my dad's house. Maybe one of the most telling is at the beginning of his ministry. He, he, he walks in and it's, jugglers are sticking out of the side of his neck, you know. <clears throat> He's finding some rope and weaving it. Simon Peter's got a little inkling on what's going on here. What are you fixing to do, Jesus? Shut up and watch. It's like, Jesus, you are never going to get local license at the camp meeting if you tear up a church during your first revival. <clears throat> Can't do that. <laughs> Man, he's tearing cages open and the 75 cent spotted ones are flying and the dollar 50 wool white ones are already gone and haze in the air and cows and sheep you've made my father's house a house of merchandise you turned a church house into a yard sale and some smart aleck preacher comes up and said who, who do you think you are? And he says, well, I'm the resurrection and the life, dummy. Who are you? <laughs> this is my dad's house. In all three of these examples, the word is talking about an actual building. When it talks about the father's house. Now listen to Matthew 23 and verse 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You study the context. He's, he's talking about the temple. This is right, right after it. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He was in the temple when he said that. There shall not be one stone left upon another. What are you talking about? Listen, listen with revelation. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church 
of the living God. The pillar and the ground of truth. I know what the father's house was when he was ministering. But that's on the other side of Calvary. What's the father's house now? The church. So put it all together. In my father's house are many mansions. In the church, there are many dwelling places. Find your spot. I've spent a lot of time in the woods through the years. I, I see things in the woods that I don't see in church. In the woods, you, you, you find uh, just, and, uh, just, they're just doing what they were built to do. I've never seen a red bird that wanted to be a squirrel. You know, I've never, I've never seen a white-tailed deer that wanted to be a lynx. I just haven't. See, in nature, there's completion. But too many times in the kingdom, there's competition. And in nature, if they just do what they were built to do, it's beautiful. Would you please show us the Father and we'll be satisfied? And Jesus, Jesus in utter exasperation says, Have I been with you for over two years? And you still don't know who I am? After all you've seen me do, I cannot believe you're still saying this. I am the Father in flesh. And if you can't believe what I'm saying, would you at least have enough sense to look at what I've done? Because I'm more than a man. You know, in one verse he says, believe that I'm in the Father. Father in me. Ten verses later he said, at that day you're going to know Father's in me. I mean, you think of the creation account. Nobody's there when God said, let there be light. I mean... You know, how do we even know what happened in day one, two, three, four, and five if it's not by divine revelation? He showed that to Moses. No one was there when he had authority over the water. No one was there when he had authority over the dust. No one was there when he had authority over animals and plants. And, and you come into the New Testament and he goes, hey, watch this. Bam. It's, the light is so powerful, it throws them on their face. I mean, it's, it's April the 15th, you know. It's time to pay your taxes. IRS is after Jesus and his boys like they're after us today. Jesus, there just ain't enough in the bag. How much do we need? $2.50. All right, Pete, this is what you do. Go down by that dock and go fishing. What? Go fishing. I've been around lots of fishing places. You've been there. There's always some monofilament hung up in the bushes where some kid got it hung up the week before. Maybe you could find an old lure or something shiny. It's always a piece of driftwood. You throw it out there at the end of the dock where the old spitting widows have been fishing every afternoon for the last 42 years. Them old guys are out there and them quarters are falling out of them overalls. <laughs> <laughs> 
And there's a big old carp down there just going. And Peter throws that dude up there. and No sooner got this big old carp on the end of the line. Brings that thing in. It's flopping on the end of the dock. And all of a sudden starts spitting out quarters. $3.50. Bam. That is power. Because no one was there when God made fish. But they were there. I mean, you know, he said, Castroneta, who else but Jesus is going to ask you to try again in the very place where you failed again and again and again and again and again? Castroneta on the right side. We, we have been fishing all night. I, you ever heard that verse, you know, um, uh, how, how's that verse go? Um, uh, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing. We've always assumed that meant, you know, everything's possible. But, but it's saying something else. There is something that is impossible. Nothing. Do you have anything? We have caught nothing. Wrong. I'm here. Cast your net in the very same place where you've never succeeded. I wish I had time to talk to you about fish stories because the Bible's full of them. He began his ministry with fish stories. He ends his ministry with fish stories. 153 biggins. Not me. You know, we caught a lot of them. On a bunch of them. I love that. 153 big fish. Very exact. I mean, they throw that net out, and, it, and, it, and it's like the Lord goes, Hey! Get in the net! I mean, he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. You know, he said, we're going to go over. These guys have been on these boats for years. They're scared. This is a real storm. And they're waking him up. And the first thing he says when he wakes up was, where's your faith? I think what he's saying is, you got more faith in the storm outside than you do in the Savior that's on your boat right now. And he gets up on the bow of the boat and he goes, hey, I'm trying to sleep down here. And the wind goes, oh, it's the master. Sorry, boss. He rides on a donkey that nobody's ever rode on before. Go down the road there, boys. Going to see a mailbox. Go down that lane. There's some stuff tied up. There's a little donkey down there. Unhitch that dude and bring him back. They go down the road. They're untying this donkey. Dog starts barking. Screen door screeches. Old guy comes out with them hames and them bib overalls. What y'all doing, my donkey? The master needs him. Well, why didn't you say so? Bible said the whole city was gathered at the door. He healed them all. I'm convinced this is one of them guys that somewhere in his past, either him or his family, Jesus healed. And he said, hey, if you ever need anything, just stop by the house. And Jesus gets on a donkey that no one's ever broken and rides it without a vent into Jerusalem. What are you saying? I'm saying everything that he had asked people to believe for years is mimicked in his ministry. No one was there when he made man out of dust, but they were there when he put all those men under conviction when he's writing in it. They were there when he scooped up that dust and spit in it, 
stuck it in that guy's eyeball and he went down and washed. Everything that God did in the creation account is reproduced in the ministry of Jesus. Why? Because he said knowing is superior to believing. Believe whatever you want to right now. But when I go, remember it's like blaspheming the Holy Ghost. You ever study about that? What in the world is that? He said, you can say a word against the Son of Man, I'll forgive you. But you say a word against the Son of Man, I'm never forgiving you. What he's saying is to many of you, I'm just some guy from Nazareth. But when I go in that grave and I come out three days later and you still say I'm a man, I'm not going to let that one slide. That's why I say, believe. I'm doing all this stuff for you. Would you just believe? But there's coming a day when I'm going to do something, and you're going to know. You're going to know. I love that thing in the bus. There's a certain man. Certain man. That's what I'm reaching for tonight. Certain men. The theory of the Trinity said, there's God the Father, separate from God the Son, separate from God the Holy Spirit. They're co-equal. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. When one person prays to another, that is not equality. When one's asking the other for help, that don't sound like they're on equal ground to me. I want to know who raised Jesus from the dead anyway. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle... Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay? Here's Romans chapter 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. Here's John 2, 19. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. So in Galatians, one father raised him up. Romans 8 and 11, Holy Spirit raised him up. In John chapter 2, son raised himself up. You got a problem if you believe in three separate persons. Listen, there's little S's and there's big S's, okay? You have a spirit. Angels are spirits. Demons are spirit. But when you read Ephesians 4 and 4, it says there's one body and one spirit, capital S. Okay? Take that little bit of revelation and apply it to John 4, 24. God is spirit. Capital S. Now go to 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now the Lord is that same spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So whether you call that one almighty spirit God or Lord, it doesn't matter. There's just one spirit. Okay? Now you go to Acts 9. And Saul of Tarsus says, who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. You got it? That's it. Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. There's just one spirit. There isn't a spirit of the Father separate from the Holy Spirit, separate from the Spirit of the Son. There's just one spirit. That spirit, is the, that spirit is holy. That spirit is the Father. That spirit is Lord. Jesus is the saving name of our God. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a grandson. That's not my name. I, I, I know I'm teasing you, and I know exactly where I am here right now. But it's like, I, 
ladies and gentlemen are really gentlemen, no ladies. Just that same Jesus in exasperation interrogates Philip and rebukes him and saying, Is that all you want? Just show us who the Father is and we'll be satisfied. Is that all you want? So I pose that question to you, gentlemen. Is that all you want? Just to know who the mighty God in Christ is? Is that as far as it goes? Will that satisfy you, sir? If you can just figure out the numerical integrity of God. Are not equal. The Father who dwells in me does the works. When you say the Son of God, what is the Son? Flesh. What is God's Spirit? So say it with revelation. The flesh of the Spirit. Deity wraps himself in dust, takes in. Man's made in God's image before he even had an image. What is the image of God? This is not in your notes, my good brother. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. And whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, comma, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Colossians 1 and 15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 and 3 said he is the express image of his person. Put them all three together. Jesus Christ is the express, the only, the sole, unique, visible image of the invisible God. Right? That's Bible. <laughs> That's why when you read Romans, hey, it's men's conference. We've been blaming women for years, but when you read Romans 5, it doesn't say by one woman, it says by one man centered into the world. Woo. Because when you have a family unit, you and I are responsible to be the priest of that house. The Bible said you bring an abomination into your house, your whole house is an abomination. It's what Achan did in his tent that got him in trouble, not in the church. What's in your tent, gentlemen? It's just a thought. It's just... <laughs> this whole thing. Read Romans 5. The first Adam was in the similitude of him that was to come. See, God knew what he was going to look like when he took an earthly set of duds out of layaway. And he used the blueprint for the incarnation to build Adam. Adam's made in the image of him that was to come before God even had an image. That'll mess with your head. Why? Because he knew exactly where he was going to be 4,000 years from then. And if he knew where he was going to be 4,000 years from then, he knows where he's going to be 4,000 years from today. You can trust the Lord. His, his creation is done, but his work's not finished. It, it, it's just, don't, don't you get it, Philip? Don't you get what's going on here? And I say that to Pentecost. Are, are we the modern-day equivalents of Philip?
We just want to hoot and holler about who Jesus is. Yahoo! The revelation of the mighty God in Christ is supposed to teach us a lesson we never got. The whole thing is about his spirit being glorified in flesh. No wonder he said, I've done some pretty great stuff, Philip. You're going to do greater stuff than I do. Because as long as I stick around, you're never going to eclipse my ministry. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you get that? Looking down through time, he sees you and me. And he predestines, he chooses you. Predestines you. Justified. Going to glorify you. Sees you standing around his throne. Plopping them crowns off with these brothers with you tonight. Throwing them at his feet. He saw that. Paul said, he counted me worthy. Picture a parade with a hundred floats in the parade. And the first float is you before you ever found Jesus. And all the 99 floats after that are the different seasons of your life and your maturity and your growth in the Lord. And finally, the last float in the parade is the best you'll ever be. And this is what Paul is saying. When Jesus chose me, he didn't look at the front of my parade. He looked all the way at the end at what I was going to be and counted me worthy. And that's how he's treated us. Oh, Jesus. It's just, and if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if we suffer together with him, we'll be glorified together. I'm so glad this COVID thing's behind us now. Aren't you glad we do not serve a Jesus who practices social distancing? It's just for I reckon that the... See, I'll tell you what COVID did. It, we figured out who really loved Jesus. Because to too many people, the church service was their salvation. And when they couldn't go to church on Sunday, they folded like a cheap suit. Because that was their fix. That was their high. When they'd come to church and, and their goosebump machine would work on all eight cylinders. But all of a sudden now you can't go to church. And you're going to have to figure out, do you love him or not? Are you going to pray or not? Are you going to be in that word or not? The Bible said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You're not supposed to get weaker while you're waiting. You're supposed to get stronger while you're waiting. This thing is not supposed to be limited to the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. It's about the revelation of Christ in you. Christ in the church. We're content with knowing who he is. I'm here to challenge you. Did you ever take the time to realize the real question is, who are you? Listen to me closely. I am 
Who I am says, I am. Luke 17. Two are going to be working in the field. One's going to be taking the other left, turn around in the beans, and there's just a hoe where your pal used to be. Two are going to be in the bed. One's taking the other's left. There were no Pentecostals there, I know, because it says in Luke 17 and verse 37, Where? Where, Lord? Where? And this is what he said. Where the eagles gather and find the carcass. So I will be. I used to take my dad fishing into Canada. When I tell you we went to the boondocks, I mean way, way, way back in there. We'd drive, where I'm Michigan, we'd drive 14 hours. Then get on a boat and go two more hours. We went to this little place called Biscotasi. I went to get some bait one day down at the store. This lady said, they tell me you're a pastor. Yes, ma'am, I try to be. Uh, we got a little church in town. Would you preach for a Sunday? No, I won't. <laughs> she said, you won't? I said, no, I'm attending a conference here. She said, you are? I said, yeah, it's called Because of the Fish. <laughs> I said, lady, I preach all year long. I didn't come here to preach. I came to fish. She said, we had our largest attendance two weeks ago. I said, well, good for you. She said, we gave away free beer. <laughs> she said, we filled the house. She said, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. It was, right. <laughs> we catch these walleye, and we're on this rock. The, the little place we stay is literally on a rock, and you can't gut the fish and leave them by the house. Because the bears show up. So you get in this boat and you take it about 300 yards to this other big rock that's in the bay. And we throw out all these innards, you know. Guts. No women here, I can say it. Guts. Live stream. Oh, boy. Goes everywhere. Guts. It would stun me. I'd be in the boat. I'd turn around. And I'd go back to the dock of this little cabin we're staying in. And before, before I could get the boat tied up at the dock where we were staying, I'd turn around and the eagles have already found that gut pal. Sticking that beautiful white head and all that goo, man. Just, I'm an American, you know, beautiful white eagle. They're, they're carrion eaters. They love rotten flesh. It just stunned me. When I tell you we are in the boondocks, we are way, way, way back in there. And in less than 10 minutes, them eagles saw me putting them guts on that rock. And this is what Jesus is saying. Just as sure as them eagles can find the carcass, I'm going to be able to find my church. I got all kinds of these books. I've been collecting books for years. I got dozens and dozens and dozens. I can say it now, but you know, Brother Baxter, he's dead, so I can get away with this. I met Irvin Baxter years ago when I was 19 years old. I was a young evangelist in Indiana. And he comes up to me and he said, What's, what's your ambition, Harold? What do, you, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. 
I guess one day I believed I'd always be a pastor. He said, I'm going to have a television show about prophecy. And I was young and stupid, you know. And, and I said, Irvin, you got a face for radio. <laughs> and to his credit, he laughed. But guess what? Irving ended up on TV and realized his dream. And, it's, and I respect him for that. My problem is in Pentecost, we had a couple of the, them, them's the prophecy guys, you know. And all the rest of us just don't touch that prophecy stuff. Because we got maybe three guys that really know what all that means, you know. <laughs> so I meet this old preacher in Pensacola, Florida named D.L. Welch. And he said, you know, Harold, he always looked at his fingers when he talked to me. And he said, I don't know a lot about prophecy, Harold. But he said, I know as much as anybody else does. <laughs> My guess is as good as the next guy. So I adopted that. I got as good a chance of being right as they do. I got all these books in my office, dozens and dozens of them. When's Jesus coming? See, that's the big question. When's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? There are people who got a little scent of some. I've been fascinated for years with the feast of Israel. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacle. So, when's Jesus coming? September. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I believe that. Jesus died on the day the Jews celebrated Passover. In fact, in Corinthians 5, he is referred to as Passover. Jesus is in the grave on the day they're celebrating unleavened bread. No yeast, nothing rises up. On the day the Jews celebrate first fruits, Jesus comes out of the grave. Okay? As fact, in Corinthians 15, two times he's referred to as first fruits. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, he poured out spirit on the day then people are celebrating that fourth festival. You know what the next feast is called? Trumpets. Happens every September. This year it's in October. But it's just, when is Jesus coming? In the fall. I got a one in four shot. That's good odds in Vegas last time I was there. Put that on the live stream. <laughs> I believe the law of the Lord's perfect. I believe he's honored four of them. He's going to honor number five, six, and seven. That's what I believe. Now, I could be wrong, but that's my guess. Prove me wrong. <laughs> good luck. It's just, it's just... My problem with Pentecost is everybody wants to know, when's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? That's not what the disciples asked. Where? 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 Where are you coming? And he said, find the body. It's not. Knowing who Jesus is is not going to do you any good if you don't understand where you need to be when he shows back. You've got to be in the body. You gotta be in the body. You gotta be in the body. 
the day of the Lone Ranger is over, gentlemen. You need me. I need you. You need you, brother. You need that brother to stand together. Where are you? Don't keep hooting and hollering about Jesus is. If you don't understand, in the church, there's a dwelling place for you. Have you found your place? Have you found your ministry? Have you found your gifting? What has he got you here for anyway? Or are you just going to put a white envelope in the dish and say, I did it. It's not enough. Oh, Jesus. It's Don't you understand that everything that Satan is, Jesus is the antithesis of that. Jesus is the way. Jesus is direction. This is what he asked Job. Where were you, dummy, when I put a compass on the face of the deep? Where were you? There wasn't even a northeast, south, and west until God created that. No wonder it says, Your steps are ordered. Your times are in his hands. Direction is a God idea. And if Jesus is the way, then Satan is the opposite. Lost. If a gospel's hid, hid to them that were lost. Son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. We're Pentecostals. We have the truth. That's what I was taught. Acts 2.38, that's the truth. Please find me one verse in the Bible that says Acts 2.38 is the truth. That's not the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. Because truth, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen, is not a doctrinal position. Truth is a person. You got that? I mean, one God people killed Jesus. There's a lady follows one of those men in the New Testament. These are the men of the Most High God. Wherever they say, you need to obey them. He turns around and casts the devil out of her. Nothing wrong with her doctrinal position. It's her spirit. You got the doctrinal position. But do you have a living relationship with the truth? Because if you don't get a love of the truth, he'll send you a delusion and you'll be damned. It's like the Lord says, now that's not the truth. Yeah, but I really want to believe that. Okay, if you really want to believe that bad enough, I'm going to help you believe it. We're in this crazy world. We called it standards. I never did like that word, holiness standards. Then I heard it, righteousness. It's gender distinction. Don't you get it? It's played right into our hands. We're right here, perfectly positioned. Man wants to pretend like a woman. We're supposed to pretend right along with him. We have people come to our church, transgenders. They come to the church. Boy, did I catch a lot of hell for that. Can't believe you let them reprobates in there. I think Jesus would. 
I do. Got a lady comes every Sunday morning, used to be a man, raised in an apostolic church. Asked me, Pastor, would you let me speak at the church? And I said, guardedly, what would you like to say? She said, I have physically altered my body. I can't go back to being a man now. I want people to look at me and realize I'm the poster child for confusion. I'm the end result of confusion. Because Satan wrote a best in New York Times bestseller. It's called confusion. And the Lord's not the author of that book. Don't you get it? When a man wants to become a woman, what's he do? He gets a wig and a dress. And when a woman wants to be a man, what's she do? She cuts off her hair and puts on a pair of britches. They're preaching our message for us. They know what a man ought to look like. They know what a woman ought to look like. Jesus is life. Satan is death. That's why it says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. What's your mental motto of the gates of hell? Big old high doors, English oak, big studs in them. I don't know if this is in your notes or not. Scripture, man, you're doing a good job. They really do. Thank God for good sound people and scripture people. This is Genesis 13 and 12. And Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. One chapter later, 14, 12, Lot dwells in Sodom. Five chapters later, 19 and 1, Lot said at the gate, at the gate, these walled cities, man. It's, there's ingress and egress. Matthew said at the receipt of custom, by the gate. Even the RRS knew how to find you back then. I'm going to park my carcass by this gate because sooner or later you got to come in or go. You're going to have to go by me. I'm telling you, gates is precious real estate. It's where the movers and shakers hang out. It's where the real things are changed. He's talking about that place where things come from. The brain trust of Satan. Everything he can possibly think up will not prevail. Against the church. Ladies and gentlemen, when hell concocts illness, I come from hockey country, hockey town, USA. I don't know if you know what I mean when I talk about a hat trick. But in hockey speak, you've got to do three things exceptional in a game to achieve what's known as a hat trick. A couple years ago, I had a hat trick from the enemy come into my life. My youngest daughter, she's had nine surgeries on her eyes. They told me, your, your daughter's going to be blind, Pastor Hoffman. Her, she's got cataracts and glaucoma. We can't fix it. And the optic nerve is going to kill her eye. And even though everything works good, the optic nerve's going to kill her eye. We had a bad accident years ago. Her seatbelt broke. She went through the windshield. We just celebrated her 35th birthday last week. But she's 12. I'll always have a little girl in my house. Ashley's amazing. She's the rain man of Pentecost. 
If you gave my daughter a quarter and two dimes, she wouldn't know how much money that is. But there's 600 people in the church and she knows everybody's phone number. And she knows everybody's license plate number. It's scary, man. I just give her my phone. Ashley, get the, oh, dad. We're going down the freeway a couple weeks ago. There's Jeff and Valerie Woodworth on 75. I said, baby, a lot of people have a truck like that. Yeah, but that's his, that's his license plate number, dad. And we pull up beside these people and they're honking, Jeff and Valerie. <laughs> then they diagnosed my wife with malignant tumor. And my young oldest daughter, she's got too much scar tissue. She'll never have children. So immediately I go into fear. <laughs> I'm going to be a widower strapped with a special needs child and never have any grandkids. Three things the enemy threw at me. They take my wife into surgery. 14 hours of surgery. Her lead doctor was a lady. They come out after being in there, two different surgical teams. They're over there outside going, what's up, what's up? I'm going, oh, shoot. This is not going to be good. And she said, oh, Pastor Hoppin. Pastor Hoppin, I have a question to ask you. Yes. Has your wife ever cut her hair? I said, I said no. Why? She said, well, when the anesthesiologist got that gas in me, when they, we took them clips out of her hair, and her hair went... <laughs> And we just stopped and we all stood around and said, wow, look at that. <laughs> and I said, and? She said, oh, it was benign. Don't worry about it. It's all gone. They did, they did bilateral, they did bilateral implants on my youngest daughter. Now she has 20-20 vision. I have two granddaughters. And I tell people, don't tell me worry doesn't change things. All that stuff I worried about, it never did happen. Fear has torment. But perfect love cast out fear like the trash that it really is. Uh, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I want, scripture man, I want you to get me Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2. you find this verse. This is what it says. You know, they said, they're drunk. They're drunk. That's what they're it's, And Pete stands up and says, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, man. Nobody's drunk at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. This is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And this is what he said. It shall come to pass in the last days. Say, God, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Five, can you got that? find that verse for me in Acts 2? I want you to see it. I'm not making this up. See, I preached for years that Peter quoted Joel chapter 2. But he didn't quote Joel chapter 2. In Acts 2, he said, it shall come to pass in the last days. That's not what it says in Joel 2.28. Find Joel 2.28, scripture, man. This is what it says. And it shall come to pass afterward. So I just asked this very simple question. After what? 
So now find, now find Joel 2, 27. Okay? That's the verse that precedes 28. You're going to know that I'm in the midst of Israel, and I'm the Lord your God, and my people are never going to be ashamed. And it's going to come to pass afterward. After what? After we get over our shame. I am who I am says I am. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in him. Oh, you got a daughter in trouble. You got a son in trouble. I'm reading the prodigal son. See, I, see, I think the demoniac of Gadara was the prodigal's son. I can't prove it, but there's only one pig pen in the New Testament. I think both of them guys found the same pig pen. I think the prodigal's son was the demoniac of Gadara. It's just me. What I do is... I used I read these verses and I'd start highlighting different words. The son comes back and this is what it says. The father said to the servants, kill the fatted calf. My son, not my son which was lost, but my son who was dead has come back. So I'm reading these verses in my devotion and I highlight different words and I read it like this. And the father said to the servant, kill the fatted calf, which tells me the servants knew exactly which cow he was talking about. Because when the boy left, instead of daddy imploding and just all of his faith draining out, he said, cut that calf out of the herd and start feeding him extra grain and groceries because my boy's coming back. And when he does, we're going to have a picnic and we're not going to have to go to the to the grocery store to get T-bones and to get tenderloins. Gentlemen, you got a lost girl. You got a last boy. Keep feeding the cow. Do not stand with me. Stand with me. I want, I want you to get this. We're apostolic when hell concocts an illness the Lord says I'm the Lord that healeth thee. I'm trying to build a building in Detroit. It is scary what numbers are going on. I made a crazy commitment to this building. Way, 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 way past anything I was capable of doing. So I've been preaching out this summer. I got to make so much money every year to be able to make my pledge in three years. That's why I'm here. Pay me good. You always have, so thank God. So I'm at this church somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole. They just moved into a building. Husband and wife started it in their living room. Two little kids. My plane tickets, 750 bucks. He goes to pay me. Thank you for coming, Brother Hoppin. And I said, no, the honor was mine, brother. 
tear the thing up and he starts crying. My wife picks me up at the airport. Did you make any money? I said, baby, Jesus keeps good books. She said, you gave it back, didn't you? You did it again. Oh, Harold, what am I going to do with you? You've got to quit giving the ranch away, Harold. We're at a restaurant. Honest to goodness, this lady comes over and she says, do you remember me, Pastor Hoffman? I said, no, dear, I don't. She said, years ago, you gave me money because I was in trouble. She said, I've been carrying this money around in my purse for I don't know how many years, she told me. I said, God, somehow you're going to let me cross paths with Pastor Hoffman. She said, I saw you in this restaurant, and I came across, and I just want you to know I'd have never made it if you wouldn't have helped me. I live in another city now. That's why I don't come to church. But I'm going to church. So I'll just leave it lay there. Because old Miss Faith filled Renee there. Because I know she's nibby. And I just let it lay there. I'm eating and just ignoring the envelope. So she said, are you going to open that? You want to? And she starts counting out. There's 27 $100 bills in this envelope. And my wife starts crying. And she said, you're right here. Jesus keeps good books. been a wonderful audience. It's been a privilege to be here with you this night. We're just plowing right now. We're just tilling up the spirits right now. This is going to be a great weekend. This is going to change your life this weekend. God put Brother Cisco and I together. We're just, we're going to plow here. It'll take a couple hours, but I promise you somewhere between now and this thing end, and this thing's going to go kapow. When it does, I'm reaching for you, gentlemen. You got to do more than wear a shirt and a tie. Put that yellow envelope in the dish. What's your gifting? What God call you to do? What are you supposed to be doing? Don't you get it? It's supposed to be your hand that prays. They get it healed. You teach the home Bible study. You be the one that be the means and the method that God chooses. You've got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. But you ever get the revelation of where you need to be in the church? Where's your position? Where's your spot? What are you supposed to be doing? In Jesus' name. Put your hand on a brother's shoulder right now. If you ever got anointed, don't pray for yourself. Pray for them. The Bible said God turned to captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. God chose Saul because of Stephen's prayer. I want you to pray for your brother right now. Lord, this is my brother. I may know him well. I may not know him well. But I know you well. And I know what you've done in my life. And this man is no more and he's no less than what I am. I'm not praying for him because I'm better than he is. I'm not praying for him because I'm closer to you than he is. 
The truth is, there's nobody in this room that's as close to you as they could be. Nobody in this room knows as much about you as they could know. But you did say, freely we have received. Freely we give away. I'm asking your God to flow through me right now. I'm asking you to bless my brother. Put a foundation beneath him. Put a hedge round about him. Put a canopy over him. Protect his marriage. Protect his mind. Protect his family. Protect his ministry. I'm asking you, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, flow through me into my brother right now, God. <laughs> I don't want to be a satisfied son. Just because I know who you are is not enough to satisfy me now. Where do I belong? Where do I fit? What did you call me to do, Lord? I submit to you right now, Jesus. I ask you, God, please. I know there are people smarter than I am. I know there are people more gifted than I am, but they're not asking. I am asking. I'm asking right now. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.